And when COVID broke last year, people were calling it a health crisis. By August, I knew it was a fraud vaccine crisis. And now is the time to take on the fraud within CDC, NIH. They're going to do the cabal, as I call it, where they actually use human beings as guinea pigs for vaccinations. So today on American Conversations, we have Ernest Ramirez, who's from Texas, who we met uh, at Senator Ron Johnson's roundtable uh, several weeks ago. Um, and so, um, Ernest, welcome to the show. And we want to just say right off the bat, we're so sorry about your son who died after he received the Pfizer vaccine, Ernest Ramirez Jr. Thank you, Mama. Condolences to you. Tell us about your yes. son, Ernest. <clears throat> well, my son, like I've said before, I raised him since he was a baby. Uh, I took care of him. I mean, uh, I was everywhere with him. Diapers, you know, car seats, everything. You're a single dad, a right? Boy, but... Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> yeah, he was always by my side. Mm -hmm. Uh I took care of him every day. I'd get up in the morning, take him to daycare, go, uh, they already knew him at our local store. We stopped there, he'd bring, get his little taco, his little orange juice, and drop him off at daycare. And after work, I'd go by, pick him up. Same thing every day. You know, beautiful routine. It was my world. I mean, I was a millionaire, you know. That, that's how I felt. I was so happy. Mm. And, uh, when uh you know being a father i never knew my father so i did, I never knew what it was like to have uh, a father's love so i wanted to make sure my son never felt that you know even no matter what i was going through what we're uh, i always wanted to make sure he was happy that was my goal in life so uh when he was at seven years old uh i went out and bought some baseball gloves i said i'm gonna teach my boy how to play baseball you know catch you know whatever Mm -hmm. Just spend, you know, quality time with my son. And uh, so that day, you know, he was pretty good. The first day he ever caught a ball with a glove, he was really good. And each time I noticed he was, you know, he was good that day. So I started throwing harder and faster. And and he was kind of nervous. He was, Dad, you're, you're going to hit me. I said, well, that's your protection, that glove. You mm -hmm. always catch that ball. So after, by the end of the day, he was, Dad, I want to play baseball. So I signed him up for baseball. I ended up coaching baseball for seven years because we loved the game. That was something we, mm. I mean, we look forward to every day. After work, I rush home, let's go to practice. I ended up coaching, even though I wasn't, I didn't think about doing it, but they, I ended up coaching for all those years. He was a good player. I mean, he was the type that <clears throat> he'd go up to bat and the other coach and the team Ernesto was getting a bat and everybody moved back out of the way. And we're talking about little kids, you know, but they already knew him. You know, I taught him uh, the best I could. And uh, he was a heck of a pitcher, too. He had a real good fastball. And he would taunt the other players when he was on base. So he'd end up stealing bases all the time. They knew they, he was well known for baseball. And uh, <clears throat> he would always, like I said, he would always be outside with me when I'm working on motorcycles or cars. 
<clears throat> and uh, he, they were digging around in my garage one day, and he found a stack of magazines. And they, you know, looking at the cars and everything in the books, and he seen an old picture. He goes, "Dad, is this you?" I said, "Yes." Yeah, I used to build low riders. He goes, "Dad, well, why don't you build one for me?" And you know, we talked, and I ended up buying him a car. He was probably about eight, nine years old. <laughs> so I bought him a little uh, uh, car where we'd go riding around at the parks on the weekend and he'd be playing with the switches and, you know, it's a toy. You know, that's why I looked at it. You know, it's a, a big man's toy. Right. So when you get your license, there's your car. Well, anyway, uh, we just had a good time. We'd go mm -hmm. camping all the time, fishing. He loved outdoors. He loved outdoors. Sounds we'd like you were, sounds like you were best friends. Uncle. It sounds like you were best friends. Yes, ma'am. We were. We were. Mm -hmm. We would go to Austin to visit my aunt and uncle. My uncle had a, a old 55 Ford pickup truck in his garage. Never moved it. He would start it up. We'd go up there, start it up, move it out of the garage, tinker with it, put it back in the garage. You know, we'd tease him all the time. I said, you know, uncle, you want, we'll get that junk out of your garage, you know, that we have room. And he would laugh. Well... Just before Junior passed away, my uncle. Take your time. Take your time, Ernest. I know this is hard. Uh, my uncle gave me that truck. And he said, this truck is for Junior. I don't want anything to ever happen to this truck. This is his for when he gets his license. Because he was studying to get his license. And Junior was excited about it because it was a, it was a beautiful truck. Anyway, uh, how old was when this COVID hit? You know, we sixteen. Sixteen. I uh, I would push him. You know, you have to go to college. Yeah, I would tell him you have to go to college. He goes, "Well, I want to do what you do, Dad." I said, "No, you need to be a boss, not a worker." You need to be the type of person that tells people what to do. And uh, like I said, I'm not rich. Like everybody else, we live paycheck to paycheck. But I always made sure he had everything he needed. He never asked me for anything. He was the type of child. He didn't say, I want these $200 shoes or, uh, you know, $100 pants or shirt. I had to fight with him to buy his clothes. You know, I'd look, hey, come on, you know, we got to go buy you some pants or some shoes. No, I'm okay, Dad. I'm all right. He never wanted me to spend money. I mean, we weren't rich, but we we lived decent. We always had we had a house, we had food. You know, we had we lacked nothing. Mm -hmm. But he never wanted me to spend money on him, and I had to force him. Like I said, I had to force him to let's go eat shopping. And uh, like I said, he never gave me. He never talked mm -hmm. back. He never argued with me. Nothing. He was. I couldn't ask for a better kid, child. And uh, I would push him about college. And uh, he told me, well, Dad, he would tell me that I want to uh, do what you did. I want to join the service. And I said, no, you don't do it because I did it. You do it for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, well, I want to join the Air Force. I said, perfect. Whatever you want to do, I'm here to back you up 100%. I'll always back you up on everything you did, you decide to do. So he joined ROTC, uh, ROTC in high school. He was preparing himself too. That COVID was here, and we, he, you know, he couldn't go to school anymore. Uh, 
but he was still anxious to play baseball. He was just going to 10th grade, I believe it was, and uh, to keep in shape. He wouldn't drink Cokes. We'd drink tea or water. Uh, he wasn't really into greasy foods or anything. He tried to keep in shape. He would run our subdivision twice every evening, waiting for uh, to go back to school to play baseball. <clears throat> so, like I said, I'd get up every morning, I'd give him a kiss and a hug. I'm going to work, Dad. I'll see you later. Call me if you need anything. And then when I'd get home, I had GPS on my phone because I'm diabetic. And I always tell him, you see me in one place too long, I don't answer you. Call 911. So he would know when I'd get home. And he'd go outside. Raining, cold. He'd go outside to greet me at the van. And I'd get off and give him a hug and a kiss and ask him, where do you want to go? You want to go eat? You want me to cook you something? What do you feel like eating? Every day. It was the same routine every day. I always made sure I hugged him and gave him a kiss. I took him to take that Pfizer vaccine. I took mine to protect him so I wouldn't bring nothing home. That's what I thought it was for. And they, what was it, February? They started advertising where it was safe for teenagers. And then I waited till March. They kept on announcing. And I believed it because I didn't think our government would lie to us. So I told him to go get the vaccine on the 19th of April. And we had a good day. You know, we went to eat. Just a regular day. The next few days, I had no issues. It was just like a, a normal day. On that Saturday, my neighbor, a real good Christian woman, her husband's a real good friend of mine. Her son grew up with Junior. They were best friends. They were like brothers. They're always together. So she calls me and asks me, Mister, can I take the boys out to eat and play basketball? I said, of course, ma'am. Junior asked me it was okay and i told him yes i told him i gave him some money i gave him a hug a kiss and i told him to be careful and to behave that was the last time i got to talk to him she called me a few hours later screaming hysterically that there was something wrong with Junior. So I raced over there. They were loading him up on the ambulance and I chased the ambulance to the hospital. And they just said, he's dead, you know? Like they were doing whatever they wanted to do and that they were, there was nothing they could do for him no more. That he had passed. And naturally I went crazy. It took me, uh, it took me a while to try to, you know, you know, to try to straighten up because, you know, naturally I lost my, my boy, my best friend. I didn't know what I was going to do. I still don't. What I'm going to do without him. Uh, excuse me. It's all right. It's all right, Ernest. I didn't know. I, it's a big loss. It's a to big this day, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, but then I, I figured I had to. Like I said, naturally, I 
took it out on God. I cursed him loudly, and anyone that prayed to him, anyone that came up to try to comfort me, I would curse him and tell him to get away from me. And like I said, after a little while, a few days, I realized I made me my peace with God. I made my peace with God because I know it wasn't God that did it. It was man that killed my son, not God. So all that anger and hatred, I turned into something else, which I'm doing now. I need, in my son's honor, I need to fight for other kids because I used to always tell my son, you need to stand up for yourself and protect others too. Don't let anybody take advantage of you or anyone around you. And I feel if I don't do something, <clears throat> it's like I didn't care, like I didn't love my child. And I could hear I could hear his voice telling me, well, Dad, why don't you practice what you preach? You know, so that's why I figured I need to do this for him. I know that's what he would want me to do. So that's why I continue fighting. That's why that's why you're speaking out, is what you're saying. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Did you did you have an autopsy done on, on Ernest Jr.? Yes, ma'am. And what did they find? It took me three weeks, no, three months, I'm sorry, to get the autopsy. They wouldn't give it to me. I hmm. got the department, I would call them directly. They said they sent it to the uh to the judge. The judge would tell me he hadn't received it, it was still at the department. So they had me going back and forth for three months. I had this to is the, is this the Department of, of Health that you're talking about? Or the or at the hospital? No, no, no I thought, well, some, uh, uh, where they do the autopsies here locally. Okay. Nobody wanted, I guess they didn't want to give it to me. I had to threaten them and tell them, well, you know what? I'm not going to argue with neither one of y'all anymore. My attorney is going to get the autopsy for me. And then magically, the following day, they gave it to me. They told me, oh, we have your autopsy right here now. Hmm. So Miss Ivory Hecker, she came and interviewed me, and she asked for all the paperwork. She took the autopsy and had uh, Dr. Peter McCullough, he looked it over, he reviewed it. He verified that my son passed away from myocarditis and a large heart. And there was a hmm. chemicals from the vaccine coating his heart, that his heart was over twice the normal size of a child his age. And, and this uh, was this this was three days after he had received uh, five, first five, five, shot. It was five days. He passed on five the twenty fourth. Okay. Yes, ma'am. And then uh well the good thing about it, Miss Hecker went and I thought she just wanted to come and interview me. But she got went deeply into it. She called the hospital and they said no one died at that hospital. No one has died at that hospital. And uh, she mentioned his name and they said, no, he didn't pass there. She interviewed the doctor uh, that's in charge of the hospital, uh, Dr. Ivan Melendez. And, and he said, no, you know, Junior wasn't vaccinated at his hospital. So she showed him the vaccine card. He goes, well, uh, then that I tried calling the Texas State Department of Health several times and they would they would transfer me to six different people and then they connected me with an answering machine and no one ever called me back yet and uh, so he called the doctor uh, department 
on camera. And then, like, surprisingly, he said, oh, we can't find this paperwork. And I, Ms. Ivory Hacker asked, well, what? He slept between the cracks? He goes, yeah, I think so. I said, no, things don't work out like that. I mean, but they're trying to hide it. They're trying, they, to this day, they deny it. Because I text him, because uh, he comes out of commercials, which irritates me. He's pushing to have these children vaccinated. And uh, I told him, well, why don't you talk about the side effects and, or the dangers? He goes, oh, you're being misinformed, sir. I said, no, I'm not. I said, my son passed away. You said he wasn't vaccinated at your hospital. <laughs> and you know, we had a conversation, you know, on, on the uh, text messages. Then he wanted to meet me personally. He goes, uh, can we meet and eat lunch uh, for lunch so I can try to explain to you? I said, and I was, you know, me being the father, and I'd love to see him face to face. My attorney told me that nothing's good can come out of it, so don't do it. So I didn't. I left it like that. But uh, to this day, they're trying to deny it. And uh, I had friends ask me to, you know, I was out of my mind when this happened. So I had my friends, they raised the money uh, for my son's funeral. I mean, I wouldn't have known what to do or how to, anything because I just wasn't myself. Mm -hmm. So they raised the money to have my son uh, my son's funeral. And I had uh, another group that donated the plot for my son. So everything was taken care of. Do you find, Ernest, that, mm. that speaking out has helped you? Yes, ma'am, I believe so. The thing is, what I don't understand, too, because I have friends tell me, no, excuse me, they told me, they asked me to file with FEMA that they'll help with the funeral ex expenses. And I did all the paperwork. I talked to everybody at FEMA. And they told me, no, his, birth, his death certificate says, in large heart, so we can't help you. I said, well, due to the vaccine, no, we still can't help you. It has to be COVID related. I said, okay, fine, I'll figure it out myself. Mm -hmm. So I left it like that. Uh, a few days before Christmas, this past Christmas right now, I get a phone call and it's from FEMA asking me uh, for more information. I said, look, I gave you everything. You already denied me. I told you, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it myself. And they said, well, sir, if you just uh, could change the death certificate to say COVID instead of enlarged heart, we can help you with up to $35,000. I said, no, ma'am. I will not falsify any paperwork, you know, just to get you to help me. And then uh, they kept me on the phone for about 45 minutes. Just minutes, sir. Oh, wait a minute. Are you still there? She was talking to different people. And she came back on the phone and she said, sir, they're telling me if you can change it to COVID, we can help you financially. And I told her, ma'am, you know, you already denied me and I'm not changing any paperwork. My son's paperwork is the way it is. I said, so could you please Good for delete you. my application? I said, just delete my application. I'll take care of it myself. And she goes, uh, well, if you could just give us some more information. I said, you know what? You, I already told you to delete my application. You want more information about me or my son? I said, just Google my name and you'll find out who we are. But I that's when I started thinking. They're trying to get me to change that. And once I change that, I can no longer go around speaking about my son passing due to the vaccine. 
And I guess they figured I was going to fall for the money. And then now that we can shut them up this way. I and they offered you the how much, Ernest? $35,000? Up, up to thirty-five. Say that again. Yes, ma'am. Up to, to $35,000. If you would just change it to COVID instead COVID. of what was on the death certificate after yeah, the Yeah, a large heart. Heart yes. <clears throat> wow. What a story. What a story. And God bless you for speaking out and, and forewarning parents. Uh, because yes, we, um, now know, we now know that in June, following Ernest Jr.'s uh, death, that J&J &J had acknowledged at that point in time, they pulled, they pulled the shots from, they stopped it, you know, for a short period of time, but acknowledged the enlarged heart ailments. Yeah. And since that time, uh, the other Moderna and Pfizer have acknowledged the heart in inflammations. Well, that's what I don't understand. When I, uh, when we went and they gave you the insert, it said nothing about myocarditis on there. It wasn't right. until a couple months later, that's when they added myocarditis on there. Mm -hmm. And then I read a report also where they were doing tests in December 2020. And they knew that it caused myocarditis. And that's I didn't, true. it didn't that it wasn't released until October 1st. Well, we, we know, know this, this is, stuff. We know if this I would have known, my son would be here with me. Mm-hmm. So you were denied informed consent. You were sold that it was safe and effective by the U.S. government and everybody else that was speaking for it, uh, include, including the media that was pushing the narrative yeah. at that point in time, and you lost your son. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I mean, like I said, well, he, he knew you loved him. The government. He knew. So yeah. The government owes me the world. They owe me the world because that was my world. I told you, just with my son, I felt like a millionaire. You know, I didn't mm. want anything else. But as Todd just, just said, as Todd just said, Ernest, you know, Ernest Jr. knew that you, that you loved him. I mean, it sounds like you had an enormously close uh, father-son relationship. I feel like I should have told him even more. Uh, well, on this day and age, that we need a lot more love out there. That's for certain. That is for certain. So tell us now, you're you're going to participate in the march on January 23rd in Washington, D.C. Yes, Rob. And you continue to tell your story. And, and you've received support uh, yes. um, from other people who, who have been injured because of the, the, the shots and lost their loved ones. Um, is it a healing process for you to, in, in, to speak out? Because I know that some people who have been injured and some people who have lost their loved ones, you know, sometimes don't want to speak out. I think it's I think it's profoundly courageous of you to speak out about your son. I think, like I said, I feel like I have to because I was my son. I have to. And then... Uh, I mean, I could, like I've told people before, I could stay here at home and just grieve. But I think it actually does make me feel better to try to scream out, you know, try to spread his name around. I mean, I, I would love for his name to go down in history books for what they've done to him. You know, I want 
well, I, I should say, uh, I want the world to know who my son was. I mean, I'm pretty sure they do already because mm -hmm. I'm getting emails and from all over the world, text messages, you know, Australia, Africa, Guam, Poland, Germany. I mean, I'm getting letters everywhere. I mean, everybody's showing their love and support, which makes me feel good. But I feel like I'm still not doing enough. I feel like there's something more I need to do. I need to, you know, I have a couple of parents. I don't know if you've heard about it. What's it? Uh, I'm, I'm, I've got so much stuff going on. There's an answer for Sean. He's there from Canada, the father that lost his son to the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm in contact with him also. He and then there's another gentleman in uh, Indiana, Elliot. He lost his son to the vaccine also. Both parents are they've been getting real suicidal. They, but they call they text me on a regular basis. You know when they're upset like that. If any of them want to share their story and share their story about their their children with the world, we we our audience are listeners. And that's and what I've been we, trying to tell we are willing to interview them to, I, tell to I, need them, I need them to be part of this. I need them to tell their story. That way they don't know that that way people will know that I'm not the only one. Right. Uh the other like I said, the one gentleman's mm -hmm. in Canada, he can't call. So we can't actually verbally talk to each other. And uh the the gentleman in, in Indiana, he just knew he lost his son. He didn't know why or what the cause was. So I asked him to get an autopsy report. And he told me uh, he didn't have it. I said, well, you need to get it, please. And he was able to get it. I called him about a week, two later. I asked him, well, did you have it reviewed? He goes, yes. He goes, please don't say, say anything. He goes, but I, have a, I had a specialist look at it. And uh, he, he told me it was a vaccine. I said, well, I said, well I'm good. I'm glad that you found what happened. Right. I said, because Dr. Peter McCullough reviewed my son. He was, oh, my God, Mr. Ramirez, he's the one that did it. I said, perfect. I said, so you know uh, what caused it, and it wasn't just anything natural. I said, so this was because of the government, and that's why I keep pushing him. I need him to come. I need that. I, I, I told him, I, as soon as I get a chance, I want to go over there to meet him face-to-face -face because, uh, I mean, we have that much of a connection. He, he's been so upset and depressed. He's married. He has other children. But I keep pushing him. I said, we can't do this, man. I said, I went through that same situation, and I'm alone. I said, but the mm -hmm. thing is, if we do this, we won't see our children no more. I said, you got to keep your head up and just prepare for, so we can see our babies when we get to heaven. I said, if you do that, we're not going to heaven. So, like I said, we talk, and he tells me that he feels like I'm the only one he can talk to. Because we're in the same, you know, situation. That's why. Hmm. And we should just say that that uh, Dr. So you're doing the world of good is is a leading cardiologist. So he, when it is reviewed by him, he knows that which he is talking about because he's a specialist yeah. in cardio. And Todd, you you have interviewed um, Dr. McCullough three times. Yes, yeah. he's a good he's man. But nice. I met him quite a few times already too. We're always mm -hmm. at the Practice, same event. My son. My son had a reaction, and Dr. McCullough helped helped us as well. Oh, okay. So, mm -hmm. and then, I'm yeah, grateful and, to him. Yes, he's, uh, he's a real good guy. And then also uh, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, too. I met him a few times also, and he keeps in contact with mm -hmm. me. He checks, 
he checked on me during the holidays, worried about me. And I, you know, I stayed home alone. You know, my uh, girlfriend invited me over, and I said I couldn't do that during Christmas. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. She bought me gifts, and she wanted me to open them, mm-hmm. and I told her I can't. You yeah. know, because I tried, but when I tried to open the gift, all I could see mm-hmm. was my little boy's smiling face when he used to open up his gifts. So I told her I can't do that. I'm sorry. You know, she had a grandson that had a party this last weekend up in San Antonio. She wanted me to go, and I said I couldn't go to that one either. I said I can't see, see children celebrating like that. You know, really, I break down quite a bit. Well, Ernest, maybe maybe you're you're supposed to lead the fathers, lead the fathers against the the, the mandates. Yes, ma'am. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to talk to a lot of men because, I mean, we see the women standing up and fighting, not so many men. And uh, they need to be the leader of the household. That's what they need to do. I mean, I, I can only tell them, you know, they have to t- find it inside themselves to get up and do it. Well, I'm nominating you to be f- fathers of safety, okay? Because Todd has has a tribe of children. You you have a son that you've lost. I mean, and, and I agree with you. I think the fathers need to speak up. The grandfathers need to speak up. Um, it, it right. It's not that it's necessarily being led by women, but there's an awful lot of women. I agree with you that have spoken out about this. Um, but we need more men in the game for the protection of children. Absolutely. Yes, Absolutely. Ernest, will you come back and, 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 you know, if you, if you run across fathers that want to speak out or anybody, I should say that wants to speak out, but especially fathers, will you come back and then point them in our direction and yes, we ma'am. will interview them. We'll give you a bigger voice. Yes, ma'am, um, of course. You know, if there's anything else you want to share with the audience, you know, we're willing to listen. I mean, tell it, tell us what you feel that, that people need to know at this point in time. They need to know that, uh, the children don't have to be vaccinated. From all the doctors and scientists I've spoken to, there's really no need for them to get vaccinated. And we should they need to leave them alone because the way I feel, they're, they're just growing. Their immune system is just building. This vaccine is actually attacking them. It's not giving them a chance to grow properly. And like I said, over there in D.C. and the Senate in Austin, they need to leave our babies alone. Leave these kids alone. Let them grow. Once they get old enough, they can make the choice on their own if they want to or not. Because there's, like I said, the doctor, even the doctors say, a child that has had COVID and gets over it, their immune system doubles. So what good is the vaccine doing? You know, because they're still getting sick. They're still transferring the disease to other people. And uh, so it really serves no purpose to get them vaccinated. You know. I think we lost your audio there. You there? You still there, ma'am? Yeah, yeah, we're still here. We're still here. Yeah, I had somebody uh, trying to call. Yeah, they there's no need to uh, to me. I'm not a doctor, but from what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing, all these travels I've been doing, right? I, I think there's better off just to keep your children safe and don't vaccinate them. It's not worth the risk. It's like playing Russian roulette. The government gave me the gun. They told me to point it at my son's head. 
And when I pulled the trigger, all they did was step back and say, oh, I'm sorry, too bad. You know, because like I said, not even CDC, FDA, no one, Pfizer, they could at least call, give their condolences, or maybe even said, you need any help with whatever you're going through, you know, something, anything, you know, and they didn't even make, make an effort. And so, which, like I said, I don't care. I'm a man. I'm a grown man. I will find a way to do whatever I need to do. I've always done that with my son. And I'll continue doing what I need to do one way or another. Those big companies, all they think about is the money. They don't see that, that, that little child running around playing. I'm not going to see the grandchildren he would have gave me. Or anything like that. Sorry, that was my phone. Um, can we, how can we help you, Ernest? Just keep spreading my story. Uh, uh, they built a webpage, uh, Junior's Guardian Voice. They also have a give, send, go on there also. Tell, tell us that the website uh, again. We're receiving cards. Tell us, from tell us how to get in touch with that website. Junior's, Junior's Guardian Voice. Oh, let me see. It's uh, Junior's Guardian Voice, www.jrsguardianvoice.com. Let me see. Let me see if I can show you this one. I don't know how, if I can hold it up to the camera, which way. Junior's Guardian Voice, okay. Yes, ma'am. They can contact okay. me there. Or any victims, or if you know of any victims, you can call me there also. Okay, so we're going to put that out there. We're going to include that in, in, in our interview for people to know that that's how that they get in touch with you and, and that you can help them uh, and educate the parents. Yes, ma'am. Hopefully, hopefully we don't get too many callings. But if right. they, I mean, if they're there, please, you know, not, not for them not to stay hidden or taking a burden on their own because we're all here to help each other. We're in America. I mean, hell, we're supposed to be taking care of each other. You know, we don't leave nobody stand alone. That's, That's the way right. it's supposed to be. That's right. We don't leave anybody on the battlefield, and this is one hell of a war. Yes, ma'am. I've always said that we're going. We're we're going to have. We're already in it. We're having a civil war. We're going to have to fight our own government to, to take control back again. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had plenty of times. Plenty of people, different groups, asked me to run for Congress. I said, "Look, I'm not a politician. You know, I'm here for this, this fight to try to stop this stuff." And uh, they said, "Well, that's why we need you because you're not corrupt like a politician." And I said, "No. I mean, I can stand wherever you want me to stand, but." I'm not going to be mixed up with the same people unless I, unless we clean house and restart again. Then we can talk about something like that. Because that's who your, who's happened. your member? Who's your member of Congress in the U.S. Congress in Washington? Ma'am, I have nothing to do with politics, so I don't know. Okay. I like I said, I this was my world, my little world right here, just me and my son. You know, the presidents, the senators, they could do whatever they want as long as they didn't have anything to do with me or my son, um, uh, I was okay. But see, now they affected me because they attacked my son. That's the only reason I'm up, up there. 
I mean, when I went to D.C., I had people that worked there in Congress give their condolences, and they told me, asked me, Mr. Ramirez, do you have a bulletproof vest? I said, no. And uh, they said, you need to invest in one because you're getting too much attention here and something may yeah. happen. So, you know, I'm not afraid. I, I used to be afraid of dying. I'm not anymore. That just means I'm going to get to see my son. I said, you know, I'm not going to do harm to myself, and I'll make sure everybody knows that because if something happens to me, it can't be suicide because uh, I'm not going to do that. I have to go see my son. So, you know, so be it. You know, I, I got to be doing what I'm doing. I got to fight, yell, scream until the day the good Lord takes me home. So I think that's my job now. You know, I'm going to have to continue. Ernest, thank you for sharing your story with us. And please, please come back. Um, Todd? You want to close this? Up? No, thank you, Ernest. Appreciate you yeah. taking the time. Seriously. Thank you both of you. Appreciate everything. All right. We'll be in touch. Yes, ma'am. Thank you.